Eavesdrop on Experts, a podcast about stories of inspiration and insights. It's where expert types obsess, confess, and profess. I'm Chris Hatzis. Let's eavesdrop on experts changing the world. One lecture, one experiment, or one interview at a time. CNN and MSNBC are fake news. The fake news media or press. Fake news. The fake news. It's fake. The fake news, the enemy of the people. And they are. Fake news. Fake news. News. Mr. President-elect, go ahead. Mr. President-elect, since you are attacking no, our news not organization, you. Not can you. you give us a chance? Your organization You are attacking terrible. our news organization. Can you give us a chance Let's to go. ask a question, sir? Go ahead. Can you say categorically, Mr. President-elect, can you give us a question? Don't be rude. You're attacking us. Can you give us a question? Don't be rude. No, I'm not going to give you a question. I'm not going to give you a question. Can you stay categorically? You are fake news. Sir. Fake news. We just can't get away from it. It's a new era for journalism and it's getting harder and harder for the public to distinguish between the real and the fake. False information can catch on and quickly spread thanks to our social media-driven world. The resulting reality is fascinating and polarising, perhaps even contributing to the rise in populism and demagoguery. So what is the responsibility for journalists? Our reporter Steve Grimwade caught up with Dana Milbank, nationally syndicated op-ed columnist with the Washington Post, to chat about fake news, the ethics of WikiLeaks, Russian hackers, his experiences in covering American politics since 2000, and much more. Dana was recently in Melbourne as a guest of the School of Social and Political Sciences at the University of Melbourne. I guess I'm interested in how, how you describe your own work as, a, as an op-ed columnist and how you perceive other people and how they describe your work as an op-ed columnist? Well, I, I have uh, people describing my work in all kinds of ways that we wouldn't uh, uh, mention in a family podcast. All you need to do is look at social media or the, uh, the comment section. Uh, uh, and, you know, I have, I have my uh, supporters and I certainly have my uh, detractors out there. But that's, it doesn't matter so much. It, what matters is that uh, people are, are reading it. So uh, I'm, I'm, it's fine by me if they're uh, stirred up uh, uh, favorably or unfavorably. You know, I... Uh, look at what I do as just an extension of being uh, a reporter, a, a, a journalist. Uh, you know, I think people often make a, a real dichotomy between uh, somebody who's writing an op-ed, an opinion writer, uh, versus uh, you know, a straight news journalist. Uh, but I think the best opinion writing is really just uh, reported uh, journalism that's based on talking with people, observing things, uh, it, and then it just has an added uh, uh, point of view. So uh, I just see it as I see it as sort of a natural extension uh, of news reporting. That uh, that's what I do uh, now. I've heard people describe what you do and an op-ed columnist more generally as political theatre or as covering political theatre. Uh, is that a fair description of what you're currently doing? Is it fair of politics more generally? And if it is true, doesn't it reduce politics to pantomime? Well, I uh, I actually have in the past described what I do as you know writing about the political theater, the the theatrics of uh, what we see in Washington. Uh, I modeled the column somewhat after the parliamentary sketches. I used to be a, a London correspondent uh, for the Wall Street Journal, uh, and I I liked the way they they wrote about. Uh, uh, a parliament there, and I, we, obviously we have a different uh, governing uh, system, but uh, so I tried to do something uh, similar to that there. Um, so obviously I do a great deal more than just writing about whatever theatrics uh, are occurring that day. And also in the Trump era, it's not, uh, I, I think the label probably doesn't uh, apply as well, because 
everything has now become uh, one big uh, theater. And it's it to me, it's everybody says, oh, you must be having so much fun. It's such a crazy, funny time. But things are so consequential uh, that I don't I don't find it amusing or funny at all. I mean, there are certainly funny elements of uh, what the president does and the people around him. But uh, uh, they're, they're very, it's causing very serious problems for our country and for the world. So, uh, so I, yes, I guess I, I, what I'm saying is I do agree with you that the notion of saying it's just about theater now sort of, uh, reduces it and doesn't recognize the very serious uh, consequences of what's going on. Has it changed dramatically just with Trump? And has it gone from even, you know, Shakespearean theatre to now to just broad entertainment? Well, there's always been uh, an element of this uh, in, in American politics and probably in your politics as well. You know, I've seen, you know, I arrived in Washington, uh, I think it was 1995, uh, and uh, uh, things I, I thought then had had uh, really fallen apart. We'd sort of begun to lose the notion of, you know, working together, to, uh, bipartisan cooperation, consensus uh, building. Uh, but of course, now you look back at that, and uh, those were those were the the good old days, and things have uh, continued to deteriorate through the. Clinton administration, uh, the the Bush administration, the Obama administration, now the Trump administration, things are much worse uh, under Trump. But he's basically what he did is he exploited the system we have that's that's all about uh, celebrity uh, and entertainment and branding. So he is sort of the logical extreme of what we've been setting up all along the way. You mentioned before an English correspondent that you were modeling yourself on. What was it about that correspondent that you wanted to capture? It was less a. Uh, uh, I mean, there was, I, you know, the guys like uh, Matthew Paris and uh, uh, in in London, but it wasn't a particular uh, uh, correspondent. It's the notion of the sketch writer that you're basically uh, creating a, a visual uh, sketch with your words to describe, you know, to give people a portrait of what's happening in their case in Parliament, in my case, what's happening the White House, uh, in the Capitol. Uh, the Supreme Court, you know, and other venues around Washington to sort of give people uh, a, a picture of, uh, of what's actually happening to give them more insight. You do that very well indeed. And uh, just recently at a lecture at the University of Melbourne, you spoke about doing a piece on Trump and in, indeed on uh, visiting the Trump Hotel. And you then recited this list of items that were in your room at the Trump Hotel and, and where they'd come from. And the list is extensive and there's not many made in the US of A products in that room. Uh, so, you know, you make a great investigative reporter turning things over. But um, but it was the humour, it's the irony, it's your perspective that makes it an op-ed piece. How, how do your own views and your own narrative style inform your work? Well, I did go through that entire room and I think the only thing made in the United States was the, the chocolates. Um, so he did have something there that was uh, uh, that was American made. You know, I, I think ideally, you know, I like to find the absurd, um, but not for the sake of absurdity. The idea is you uh, use that to illustrate a larger point. So in that case, it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't just to point out everything here comes from another country. It was the notion of hypocrisy that here is this man running uh, as a protectionist to make sure everything is made in America. And well, his company has the option all the things in that room are also made in America. He just decided to purchase them as everybody else does from China and from India and a lot of them from Europe. I'm not sure there are any Australian-made goods in, in the room, but uh, that was uh, there's an oversight that I hope they correct. Your, uh, your presidential voting record is unique, if what I've heard is correct. Uh, I believe you claim to vote for the best person that's not on the ticket. Um, is that correct? Um, it has been for many years. Uh, I just figured rather than sort of... Uh, 
uh, declare uh, allegiance or loyalty uh, in an election. Some of my colleagues don't vote. Uh, of course, we don't have to in the United States, and a large number of people don't. Uh, but I, f- I feel it's a, a civic duty to vote, uh, you know, and I do vote for you know, offices uh, down the ballot. But what I like to do is write in who I think would be a terrific president, uh, and there's been uh, a mixture of those. Now, uh, I have to say, in this last election, when it was a, uh, a choice of Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, I did vote for Clinton because, uh, you know, again, I think we're in completely uncharted territory here, and... Uh, uh, I just felt that uh, you know my voice needed to be to be saying no I'm I, I'm voting against uh, Donald Trump rather than just a symbolic right and I live in the the District of Columbia where more than ninety percent of the votes are Democratic anyway so it's something of a throwaway. Is it important for for journalists or op-ed writers to pledge their allegiance to a particular party? Well, no, I, I, I think I, I have no allegiance to a particular party, uh, and or, nor to a particular candidate. I have allegiance to certain ideas, you know. But you know, the things I feel passionately about are, uh, you know, making the government work. So I, you know, in, in a way, I'm a bit of a sort of a raging centrist who, uh, you know, objects to uh, extremes on both sides. You know, more and more recently, and particularly in the Trump era, things, uh, particularly on the right in our politics, have, have really gone uh, off the deep end. So that sort of makes everybody seem more ideological. But the truth is, even many of the conservative commentators uh, in Washington and at the Washington Post are virtually as hostile to Trump as I am. I think you, well, you distinguish well between those that support Trump and Republicans in general. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, uh, there's a there's a reflex to sort of uh, support the party line, and you see that with Republicans in Congress. But uh, they are uh, the the intellectual conservatives were never with Trump; they were never Trumpers uh, in the first place. And you can now begin to see that with health care and other things that uh, they're just you know they're not openly defying uh, Trump and bickering with him or arguing with him, but they are withholding support and uh, you can you can sort of see uh, less and less cooperation they're not afraid of him anymore uh, and Republicans uh, I think are have been successful to some extent at uh, separating themselves from Trump just because he is such a uh, unique figure and voters recognize that he's not a typical Republican he's not typical of anything uh, just before you were talking about the fact that uh, you were you know you like you took pride in being a centrist Greg Marks, who's associate editor of the Columbia Journalism Review, and I'm quoting from Wikipedia, so I hope this is incredibly wrong. Uh, But I've checked, and I believe he's called you extravagantly contrarian. Does that mean you now wear that with pride? Well, it doesn't sound, that doesn't sound like an insult to me. um, But I'm obviously taking the positions I do uh, against what Trump is doing now is certainly not contrarian. It may have been you know, early on when I you know, was running, I said, you know, let's not uh, beat around the bush here. Let's uh, call Donald Trump a racist. Uh, you know, I, that was, I think, contrarian at the time. I don't, uh, I mean, I don't think people, you know, throw around the label that way, but I don't, I think that's generally understood that he's been leading this demagogic uh, uh, campaign and it's continued uh, uh, through his presidency. So, I mean, I don't want to be contrary for the sake of, uh, of being contrary. What I do like to do is sort of puncture uh, people on all sides. Um, the, the difficulty now is most of the uh, offenses against uh, our, our democracy are occurring on one side. Do you accept that there is partisanship in media? I mean, is, it, is that an easy question to answer? Certainly there is. Um, and uh, that wasn't really always the case uh, in, in the United States, particularly. I mean, I think it always has been in Europe. But in, in modern times, the United States, there were 
you know, serious metropolitan newspapers, a few national newspapers and uh, national networks, uh, that you know, they might have had a slight leftward tilt, but they were generally uh, uh, apolitical and, and prided themselves on that kind of neutrality. The media uh, have fragmented in the United States and elsewhere, uh, and now uh, basically everybody can just sort of, through social media, filter out views they don't want to hear and only get those views uh, that they do want to hear. So it's, it's highly fragmented, and that emphasizes uh, the partisanship. So... Uh, You'll have uh, you know, Fox News on one side beating the drums for Trump. You'll have uh, MSNBC on the other side. You know, uh, publications like Breitbart News giving the Trump line, uh, and there's you know, equivalent uh, liberal publications. Uh, the Washington Post, is, I think, is seen as liberal because it is uh, uh, has been very tough uh, on Trump. It was tough on Obama, tough on uh, Clinton, and and others before it. So it's it really depends on who's in. Uh, who's in power at the moment. And certainly our op-ed page has you know, always been fairly liberal. Perhaps you're considered liberal if you actually aim for the truth, whatever that is. Uh, well, I, you know, I mean, the, the definition's a bit slippery. And of course, your conservatives are called liberal conservatives here. So it, it, liberal became a dirty word in the United States, but, you know, done by Reagan and uh, the Bushes. Uh, now they've started calling themselves progressives to get around that uh, nomenclature problem. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think I'm mostly liberal in the sense of a liberal democracy that has, you know, strong institutions, uh, you know, checks and balances, a legislature, a strong uh, rule of law and the, uh, a free press and uh, free expression. So in that sense, that's, that's the liberalism I'm defending. Many people now hypothesize that Trump is actually, well, actually believes what he's saying is the truth. Do you think that's true of those on Fox News as well? I mean, I, I hear these voices and I hear them being warriors for their cause. I'm not sure I believe what they're, that they believe what they're saying. Well, two different things there. I do think there's a case that when Trump is saying something that's completely untrue and people say he's a liar, I'm not sure he's a liar because I think he may believe that what he's saying is true. He may have trouble distinguishing between what is true and what he wishes were true. So I think uh, he's in one category. But I, you know, with the uh, with the commentators, I think so much of it is play acting and 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 playing a role. And I think they know that they're 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 spouting nonsense, uh, and that this can be true on both sides. Um, but you feel like you need to say a certain thing. You need to uh, have a certain amount of extremism, or they won't want to have you uh, uh, on the air. So uh, the two different things there. But I think uh, I think people playing that part, feeding into the fragmented media. We have what I think is a great weekly show on politics in Australia. It's called Insiders, uh, where journalists of all stripes and politicians come to talk about the latest news. I remember Jay Rosen talking about this show as being emblematic of the problem we have with political coverage, uh, that it's written by and for insiders. How much do you think this is true and do you think it's an issue? Well, I don't know about the show, so I can't comment on that uh, individually. You know, there are constant attacks on insiders and elites and the establishment, uh, at least uh, in the United States. Uh, But typically it's done by other elites and members of the establishment just to try to discredit uh, the other side. So... You know, I, uh, you know, people, we, we were, some of us were arguing during the campaign that it's just, you know, it's just wrong of uh, Donald Trump to say, I'm going to eliminate the $18 trillion uh, federal debt in my, uh, in my four-year term, and well, I'm going to cut everybody's taxes, and I'm not going to cut any spending. I mean, it, uh, you know, people will say you are an elitist or an insider to uh, uh, object to that uh, you know, false logic. Uh, so I think, that, I think the label is just uh, thrown around uh, uh, all the time. 
That said, there uh, certainly is a, a growing problem that, that Trump exploited in America with uh, growing uh, inequality, particularly in rural areas in the middle of the country. There's a lot of people who have been left behind uh, by economic progress because they don't have a high level of education. Uh, there, there is a real problem that I think a lot of the elites uh, in America, are, uh, of both parties, of, of all ideologies, are leaving those people behind. They have been forgotten. Trump said he would be their representative. I think he's done at least as poorly for them as as everybody else has. But this can't become a digital literacy or a media literacy program because that's not the job of journalists to be activists. No, I think I don't think we are, should be campaigning for anything. I don't think we should be arguing back with when Trump says we're uh, the opposition or that we're the enemies of the American people. We should just do our jobs, uh, do our best to report the truth, uh, and uh, uh, you know let uh, let others worry about uh, you know the popularity contest. The media have never been popular. Uh, we're certainly not now, but we never never were. Uh, so I think it's it rather than you know worrying about a, a beauty contest. We should uh, just break news and uh, keep them honest. There's an article in from 2009 by Jeff Jarvis, and it's, it's entitled Product Versus Process Journalism, The Myth of Perfection Versus Beta Culture. And I don't even want to go into the, the article. I like the title. Um, I, I believe you're against uh, process journalism. Maybe you could explain what it's, what's meant by the term and what you think it's doing to coverage. Yeah, I mean, another way of of uh, naming it is horse race journalism, and uh, that's much of what we do. And say, who's ahead in the polls? You know, is something being perceived favorably uh, or not, uh, as opposed to the the substance of things? And this, this was particularly pronounced during uh, the campaign uh, when I think uh, I was arguing that no, no, Donald Trump is saying things that are are false, and a lot of uh, people uh, in the press were were sort of missing that point and saying. Well, that line of attack appears to be working, uh, so therefore it's a, it's acceptable. So uh, you know, I think uh, people get uh, swept up in uh, what works rather than uh, what's right. So they've sort of lost their you know they they see it as apolitical or neutral, but it's become I, I think amoral in a sense. You know, that it's he said, she said, but. Uh, you know, if he said that, uh, you know, the, the moon is made of green cheese and she said it isn't, it's not a 50-50 story. Somebody's right. Uh, and it's, it's, so it's not our job to just uh, put out po- both points of view. It's also our job to say uh, whether somebody's right or not. You don't need 10 climate denialists or climate change denialists up against 10 climate change acceptors. I mean, the science has spoken. Right. That's that's one area where the, you, you seem to constantly uh, uh, people feel that they need to have uh, uh, both sides uh, represented. And, you know, it happens with, with Trump as well. It's been very hard to get the usual conservative commentators to defend what Trump's doing. So they sort of dig further into the bottom of the barrel and just find somebody uh, who will defend him, uh, even if they don't aren't particularly uh, credentialed or, or expert in any way. Uh, in your recent lecture, you said that we're no longer surrounded by leaks. We have a flood on our hands. Can you talk about the significance of leaks now in political journalism uh, and indeed the significance of someone like James Comey, who actually admitted to his leaks? Yes, I think this is a way that uh, people are uh, pushing back uh, against what Trump's doing. I mean, I, uh, there are multiple levels of leaks. A lot of the leaking is being done by Trump's top advisors in the White House because they want to get their point of view out there, also in hopes that Donald Trump himself will uh, you know, see this on uh, Fox News or CNN or read it in the New York Times or Washington Post. So they're, in a way, they're communicating with their boss 
uh, through anonymously through the media. Uh, then you have a lot of people in the federal bureaucracy who are uh, opposed to what uh, uh, Trump is doing and alarmed about what he's doing, and particularly uh, in the intelligence community, which Donald Trump has taken on, and, and law enforcement, which he's also taken on. Uh, they're sort of, I would say, doing their patriotic duty to uh, to get the truth out there about what's going on. And that that's why what uh, Comey did, I think, was important, basically saying there is a place uh, for leaks. It doesn't mean giving away you know national secrets, but it does mean getting the truth out there one way or the other. And uh, James Comey was using the media, basically, to to make sure a special prosecutor was named successfully. But I think that was a, uh, a bold uh, and patriotic thing to do. Do you have an opinion on WikiLeaks's involvement in the, the last presidential election? And it, it was Assange responsible for thinking about the context in which he was given all this information uh, with regards to Clinton's uh, emails? Yeah, I think uh, WikiLeaks is is a scourge and uh, you know an awful thing for you know, my country and, and uh, for the world. You know, when when there's a responsible news organization, you know, we are, uh, my colleagues are often given things that you know compromise national security, but before publishing it, they make you know they they make sure that they're not uh, giving away uh, sources and methods, other things that would uh, enable and uh, embolden uh, the enemy, that would uh, uh, disrupt our alliances. And uh, you know, the problem with WikiLeaks is that it's not really leaks; that they're basically it's stolen information. Uh, that's being uh, dumped out there in the public. Are there, uh, so, is there some good that can come out of that? Certainly. They'll find that needle in the haystack that actually does reform things, but I think it does a lot more damage than good. So uh, the notion that you know, strategic leaks that are done to correct a wrong, uh, as we're seeing right now in the United States with law enforcement and intelligence, uh, is very important. Sort of the willy-nilly dumping of uh, government secrets out there. I mean, government secrets uh, are kept for a reason you know, for national security reasons. And uh, we are, you know, at the Post, uh, try to be responsible about that. Wouldn't some people argue that transparency cleans everything up in the first instance? And I've just butchered that uh, that cliche. Sure. I mean, we all say, you know, sunlight is the best uh, disinfectant and, and, and all that. And of course, I believe that. But do I believe that for example, it's good for the United States to uh, release the names and identities of all people who inform the CIA around the world. Of course, I don't believe that's true. Should we be uh, releasing uh, information about our military that uh, allows uh, uh, terrorist opponents to exploit it? Should we you know, release information about our homeland security that makes it easier for people to blow up our airplanes? No, of course not. There's a, a public service and a public good involved. So you know, uh, transparency, if it's, if it's done to, uh, to cause, you know, mass destruction, I think is, 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 of course, not what we need. You've written the hyper-competitive American media environment is vulnerable to the sort of technique the Russian hackers used. I thought that fake news was born from the laptop of a Russian activist, but now the term's being used by everyone to describe any sort of disagreement, white lie, whatever, in the media. Does this render the term fake news meaningless? I don't think it renders it meaningless. It's an attempt to do that. Um, basically, what we've seen is any time Trump is accused of something, he turns around and accuses his accusers of the same thing. Uh, and in this case, you know, uh, fake news, alternative facts has been put out there. And, but now we see Trump basically saying any story he disagrees with or is unflattering is fake news. And unfortunately, I see your prime minister's taken after that as well. Um, so no, I mean, in, in their sense, fake news is that with which uh, they disagree. And Fake news is it shouldn't be a term because it's not news. Uh, if it's fake, that's propaganda. Uh, we've had this before, and 
there's just uh, you know new ways of disseminating propaganda uh, because of social media and the and the web. It may feel different, but we're in the early days of the Trump presidency. How would you describe the current state of journalism? Is there a crisis? No, I mean, I think there has been a crisis uh, that uh, that Trump exploited uh, in in terms of finding ways to work around the media and basically exploiting the media for, I think, $2 billion worth of free publicity uh, during the campaign. But I think what you've seen since then is the media sort of catching their balance, uh, you know, uh, pushing back against these uh, attempts to restrict uh, press freedoms, uh, you know, this notion of being called the enemies of the American people and... uh, uh, so I think you do, you've seen, a, you know, I've called it a, a new golden age in uh, American journalism with all of these leaks and the, the terrific uh, scoops uh, that it, my paper's done, that New York Times uh, has done. Uh, and that really has been able to, I think, reverse a lot of the assaults that Trump has made on our democratic institutions. What sort of advice would you give up-and-coming journalists? Go to law school. Um, no, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's a tough business now financially. Uh, it, it was much easier uh, when I started out, uh, and it is. But, uh, but if, you, if your heart's in it and you're willing to uh, uh, suffer some, uh, some misery and some uh, indignities, uh, uh, it is rewarding. And so, uh, I mean, I'm, I just encourage people to get out there and, and write about whatever it is, whether it's the, the local police or the school board or, uh, you know, business, sports, politics. But uh, it's, it's a rewarding line of work, if, uh, if much less so than, than, it, than it was before. Dana Milbank, thank you very much. It was my pleasure. Thanks to Dana Milbank, op-ed columnist for The Washington Post, for telling it like it is. Very much the opposite of fake news. And thanks to our reporter, Steve Grimwade. Eavesdrop on Experts, Stories of Inspiration and Insights was made possible by the University of Melbourne. This episode was recorded on June 29, 2017. You'll find a full transcript on the Pursuit website. Audio engineering by Arch Cuthbertson. Production assistance by Claudia Hooper. Still curious about the world? Visit our sister podcast, Up Close, which features in-depth and long-form conversations with seasoned researchers across many fields. And don't forget to check out the rest of the amazing content on the Pursuit website. I'm Chris Hatzis, producer and editor. Join us again next time for another Eavesdrop on Experts.